Welcome to the Indie Game Vault Podcast, Episode 3. I'm Stu Lawson, and in today's podcast, I chat with indie game developer Michael Ventnor about his upcoming game, Lupin Ball, and indie game development in general. Hi, Michael. Welcome to the show. Please tell us a bit about yourself. Okay. Yeah, um, I'm Michael Ventnor, and uh, basically I'm a programmer, both in my day job and in my... uh, indie game development jobs. So I program business software by day and loop pinball uh, each night, as long as I can stay up and still, you know, not be dead in the morning. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, I mostly do the programming, the design, uh, a lot of the PR as well. Um, basically everything so far except the art who uh, my friend is doing at the moment. And he's doing a cracker job, I might add. Michael, would you be able to just briefly describe the game and some of its features for the listeners out there? Sure. So uh, the quickest way I describe uh, Lou Pinball is Werewolf Dodgeball. Uh, No real reason for it, just uh, I thought it sounded cool and uh, I thought it created a nice title for the game as well. Uh, It's a a bit of a pun in the title. But uh, Lou Pinball, yeah, you essentially have up to four players on a single screen, and those players have to go around the field and collect little orbs to power themselves up. Once they collect three, they can then shoot onto the field. They can try and shoot their opponents to get them out. The thing is, those shots that get fired, they last forever. They keep bouncing around the arena until they hit something. So as you keep uh, powering up more and more and shooting more and more, the arena becomes much more chaotic and dangerous. It becomes much, much harder for you to survive. So rounds get more hectic. Uh, It becomes much more difficult, more tense, uh, more funny as well. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that's Lupin Bull in a nutshell. I've tried to keep the game relatively uh, easy to pick up, but also uh, tough to master. What inspired the idea behind the game mechanic? Uh, well, it was a surprisingly short period of time compared to some of my other games that I've done in the past. Basically, I went to PAX last year as a, a normal attendee. Um, I went to the indie area and I saw the sheer amount of really fun local multiplayer games that uh, were on display there. And I had an absolute ball playing those with other attendees. And You know, it it was, I had not felt like I've had this much fun in a long, long time with games that I've been playing. And I thought I would really like to make one for myself. I'd love to make a local multiplayer game because this is just super fun. I'm having a lot of fun with other attendees here. And uh, I thought that uh, I'd be able to actually, uh, you know, finish one with just myself as the games programmer. So after coming home from PAX that year, um, I started playing more single-player uh, old retro games like Super Nintendo games, NES games, to try and uh, yeah see if I could uh, think up of a neat design. And I played this Super Nintendo game, which uh, a lot of people probably haven't heard of, called Fire Striker. Um, I played it and I thought, this game would probably make a really good multiplayer game uh, because it was all about, 
you as a character whacking this little orb around uh, to try and defeat enemies. So I came up with a little design, uh, and then I told my friends about it, and they said that I had essentially remade Lethal League, a multiplayer game about characters whacking deadly orbs into each other. Yeah. So um, I really had to... I, I ended up scrapping that completely, and I thought, well, maybe I'll, I'll have to think of a different approach to this. Um, so essentially, uh, I spent a few hours each night on a blackboard trying to come up with ways to make a unique design, thinking about what should the player do, what should the player avoid, uh, is there anything I can add, is there anything I can remove to simplify it and make it a more streamlined game. And uh, it took me a while, but I came up with something which I thought I was reasonably happy with, so then I prototyped it, and yeah, that ended up being Lupin Ball. So, Michael, did that research you did um, inspire the pixel art art style for the game? Yes and no. Uh, so it wasn't really nostalgia that caused me to go with pixel art. It was the fact that I liked pixel art an awful lot. And also I believed that pixel art would have been the art style that was easiest on the eyes for the game design. So you have a lot of little characters running around a very static screen. I thought that pixel art would be the best way to represent that. So I thought it would be the best way to uh, make the characters stand out on screen. You know, you'd easily be able to recognize what's going on because of the low resolution. Uh, so it was mostly a game design choice that I went with pixel art and also because it was the art style that my artist was most capable of doing. So Michael, uh, congratulations on having Lupin Ball selected for the Paxos Indie Showcase. You were at the show. Um, how did that go? It was, oh, how do I put this into words? Well, it, it completely blew away all our highest expectations. Uh, there were queues coming to our booth. Well, the indie booth in general was probably the busiest it's ever been, but uh, even the indie showcase booths, uh, we were just flat out with all the people that wanted to come check out our games. And we were the first in line in the indie show in the row of indie showcase games so we were right on the main thoroughfare so we ended up getting quite a lot of people who took a look at the game on the screen and they liked what they saw and they stopped to uh, have a go at it so it, it worked out really well pax worked out really well there was a lot of people uh, there was quite a few press to come talk to us and uh yeah the feedback was amazing yeah, we, we got we got great positive feedback. We'd already developed a fan base. Everyone already has decided on their favorite character. Um, so yeah, Pax just blew us out of the water. And uh, yeah, it, it was a real boost in our confidence, which I think uh, we really needed at that time. Are you finding that you're getting more exposure at the trade shows than you are online? Um, the trade shows are really where it's at because you can meet the press personally and they will get a chance to play your game whereas with online really before PAX I just I got zero coverage absolutely zero coverage because the press just gets slammed with emails from developers wanting uh, coverage of their games so uh, yeah for me trade shows is where it's at for a multiplayer game I think the approach you need to take with your with your marketing with marketing your game 
would change depending on the game. So if I had a really slow single player, uh, let's say uh, RTS campaign or something like that, it probably wouldn't work as a trade show because you'd have one person there playing for hours on end just so they could see the content and get a feel from the game. Um, so with trade shows, it works best if you have a demo that allows people to uh, get the feel of a game in a bite-sized chunk in, say, a 10-minute chunk at most. And thanks to Le Pinball's design, we get that anyway, uh, coupled with the fact that it's a multiplayer game. So we get the strength of all the attendees uh, playing against each other in a really uh, friendly competition. So, yeah, trade shows, really great for multiplayer games and uh, for most games in general. But, yeah, it really depends on your design. So when can we expect Lupin Wall to be released and on what platforms? Um, in terms of when it's released, uh, when I feel it's ready, honestly, that's the only answer I can give right now. But I'm aiming for no later than uh, mid-next year because I'd really like to add more stages, add more content, add more uh, modes, especially the online mode. Online is a really difficult thing to implement at the best of times. So I've got to make sure that that's uh, not going to cause any issues, that hasn't got any bugs in it. Um, as for platforms, uh, well, PC at first, and um, I'd love to talk to any console manufacturer that's interested. I've already got the ears of uh, Microsoft. Uh, Nintendo, I'll probably reach out to next. Sony, I haven't yet found a contact for, but... I'd love to get Loop Pinball on the PlayStation as well. And uh, yeah, Loop Pinball is the kind of game which will pretty much run on anything with a controller. So thanks to the fact that, yeah, its design is good for most controllers and it's written in Unity, uh, it can be, yeah, it can be pretty portable. So I would love to port it to as many uh, platforms as I can. So Michael, what inspired you to become an indie game developer? Well, um, I really felt like I needed a creative outlet, but uh, one that actually used a skill that I was good at. Um, so I, I don't know how to make a film, and I'm not that great at uh, writing a book either. But uh, programming is something that I can do. Computers is something that I really enjoy. So with games, uh, I, I, it allows me to uh, show off my creative side. Uh, and I think that's the case with most developers that get into games. Uh, I've been playing games most of my life, and I just marvel at the kinds of worlds you can create, all the stories you can tell uh, with games. And, uh, yeah, I think that's what attracts most people is it allows them to be uh, creative. It allows them to build pretty much anything that's on their mind. There seems to be no stopping the rise of indie games and developers there was a particularly strong showing at the Indie Game Developers at PAX in Melbourne. What do you think this means for the future of Indie Game Dev? Yeah, the um, the Indie, as I said before, the Indie area in PAX, I think, is the busiest it's ever been. Um, I put that down to two things. Uh, the quality of Indie Games have just gone up tremendously. Um, Australia is making really great games. They show off really well at expos. And... Um, I don't want to sound like I'm disparaging anyone, but the AAA offerings were quite slim this year, I thought. They were only showing things that gamers 
had already known about. They were either games that were already out or they were games that were coming really soon and had already, you know, everyone already knew basically everything about them. They were uh, sequels essentially. So I think that's what it puts, I put it down to is that people come to PAX and they expect uh, surprise and wonder. Uh, they, yeah, they, they just want to play a really fun game, but they also want to experience games that they wouldn't get to play otherwise that they'd never played before. They, they, as I said, they really want those surprises and, the indie area is where you get to experience that more and more. If people want to get involved in game development, what skills or tools do you recommend they start with? Well, first of all, I'd look at the game engines that are on offer because I think the biggest bottleneck you'll have in game development is obviously programming. That is a very difficult skill to pick up and one that it, it takes years, if not a lifetime, in order to harness. So look into engines that can help simplify that for you if you aren't that big on programming because you don't actually have to be that skilled of a programmer anymore to make a game you used to but there are a lot of engines like game maker which can uh, hold your hand through a lot of the uh, more difficult parts of development so definitely look into engines they're easier now than i think they've ever been um, one skill which uh, people obviously need to pick up is game design you need to design a fun game. What I'd recommend people do in order to uh, in order to grow in that area is take your favorite game or take a game that you really, really love. Take a game that you can't get enough of and uh, play that for a little while. Then seek out a game that's similar to it, that's in the same genre, has a really similar design, but you think really sucks. You play it and you hate it there's, there's just something about it that, you know, it doesn't click with you. And compare those two games. What does the good game do right and what does the bad game do wrong? And you might quickly find the, the things that good games have in common, what, what a good game does to stick with you. Um, yeah, you've you got to find out what makes a game fun. And I think just by playing more games, both good and bad, um, you got to play a mixture of both if you want to learn how to make a good game, how to design a good game. Do you think the indie game industry is oversaturated at the moment? Um, that is a tough one to say, actually. Um, I will say we are reaching a point, if we haven't reached already, where there are more games than the market can service. Um it's now actually pretty rare for an indie game to get six-figure sales, as in, you know, six-figure number of owners. But um, I think what works now in game development is not making a broad game that's going to be a massive hit, like, say, Braid. I think if developers target niches, they target a niche audience, that seems to be what works nowadays. There are a lot of visual novels on Steam that are doing really well. There are a lot of uh, quirky RPGs on Steam that are doing quite well. So uh, targeting a niche, having a niche audience, I think seems to be what's working nowadays for indie developers. Michael, what in your opinion is the most challenging part of being an indie developer? Keeping your scope down. So that, uh, that takes a lot of discipline because you will come up with 
ideas that you you think are awesome, or you'll end up with suggestions from friends with playtesting. But uh, for every idea that uh, that uh, you do come up with, or your friends suggest to you, you do need to have a good long think about it as to how it adds to the overall experience and how much work will be involved in implementing it. Because otherwise, you'll just get scope creep. You'll get scope creep, and you'll end up never finishing your game, or if you do, it'll end up being very unfocused. So you need a lot of discipline and the ability to say no to a lot of things. Um, yeah, keeping your scope down, because you end up with a lot of hopeful indie developers. You keep hearing them say, oh, I'm going to make this uh, great MMO game, a massive MMO with crafting in it, or uh, I'm going to make this massive uh, FPS game and everything's going to be customizable. And I, and you keep thinking in your head, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. You're never going to be able to finish that. You don't have the resources. I have my own rule of thumb when I come up with new ideas for a game. Um, only taking the design into account, so not the graphics or the art, because you know it's much easier to estimate the amount of effort to make those, but only taking the design into account. If it's too complex to make it to the Super Nintendo, it's too complex to be your first game. Because, yeah, because otherwise you're very unlikely to finish it, especially as a solo indie dev or an indie dev a team of three or four, what seems to work, what people seem to be able to finish most is games with a retro design, but with a polish of a modern game. I think that's the best thing to aim for. And uh, I also, um, well, not just me, but pretty much every indie developer in the industry, they value the two Ps, prototype and playtesting. So prototype your ideas. They don't, you don't have to have the best art in the world. You don't even have to have any good art to make a game. If your game is not fun with bad art, it's not likely to be fun with good art either. So prototype a game with just assets that resemble, loosely resemble what you're after, even if they're just doodles with your tablet or your mouse or something. Just don't spend too much time on stuff that could be replaced or changed. You want to be able to get to the core uh, fun part of the game as fast as you can. And playtesting, I believe that Lupin Ball would not be where it is today if I didn't playtest it. I was really fortunate to have a lot of friends who were gamers and who were willing to try out Lupin Ball. And uh, yeah, their feedback really helped to uh, shape the game, allow me to tweak it to make it faster and more fun. Um, yeah, just test, test, and test again. Play, te play test what you've got. Show it to as many people as you can. Watch how they react. Don't, don't just ask what they think of the game. Watch them play. Watch how they react. Watch where they get stuck and tweak what doesn't work. Where can you find an audience for playtesting, or do you know of an online resource where you can recruit playtesters? Um, well, the biggest one that I know of is TIG Source. Um, they, they seem to be the biggest uh, game developers forum, and they have an entire section dedicated to asking people to give feedback on games. But, um, yeah, if you're a member of any community, if you're big in any community, um, I'm sure 
uh, and, and you know that uh, at least some of them are into video games, if not all of them, then I'm sure a lot of them would be happy to try out your game if you just asked. Because, uh, you know, people, you get, people get to play a game before it's even released. That's actually quite an enticing <laughs> thing, to, thing to offer. So um, just, just uh, if you're a member of any online community, just just ask your friends there and see see what they say. The worst they can say is no. Do you think game development skills can be transferred to careers outside of the game industry? Um, I, I I think so because games are really difficult to make. So being able to make one, a complete and a good one, it shows that you have dedication and um, frankly a lot of uh, programming talent as well because games are some of the hardest pieces of software you can make. They require a lot of polish. They require a lot of uh, maths, especially if you get into the lower level parts of it. Um, I think the difference is that games are one of the few fields in IT that is all about creativity. And there are very few other areas in IT that will utilize that creativity. And I think that's why it's seen as so different because uh, game development, you do need a lot of creativity. It's a very creative field. Um, and that's not the case when you go off and create business software. So I think the skills that are specific to game development, um, I'm trying to think about business software that would be able to utilize it. And all I can really think of is simulations because they use physics, they use 3D rendering. Um, but in general, if you can program games, you can you can program a lot of things. So, yeah, I think um, I, I think uh, game development would be a useful skill to transfer over, if only to show that um, you're able to make a game, and you know that requires a lot of effort and energy and dedication, which is obviously something that an IT company would want. Well, Michael, thank you for sharing some of your insights with us today. Uh, we wish you the best of luck in the future for Lupinball. And we certainly look forward to its release. Well, it was my pleasure. Uh, thank you for having me on. And uh, yeah, I hope that uh, when Lupin Ball comes out, uh, it does it does uh, make a lot of people happy when they play it, because um, that's that's everyone's goal when they develop a game is to make something that's fun for others and uh, makes people's days brighter. So uh, I I hope. Blue Pinball uh, gets a positive reception, but as I said, everyone hopes that for their game. So we'll see what happens. All I can do is continue working on it towards release. And yeah, yeah we'll see what happens. And if you'd like to learn more about Lupinball or get in touch with Michael, you can visit lupinball.com where there's a wealth of information as well as uh, some info about Craftbin as well. Thanks for listening to the Indie Game Vault podcast. If you'd like to listen to more great episodes, you can visit us at IndieGameVault.com forward slash podcast or subscribe to us on SoundCloud.com forward slash IndieGameVault. Thank you for joining us and hope you can join us next time.